Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Linda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and I've got a real treat for you today. The title of my message today is Shame and Condemnation Attacks, and I have my two friends, Ray Bergman and Tom Bixler, on the show with me. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Glenda. Thanks for having me back. Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, once again, Glenda and Ray, it's great to be here with you. So we're going to talk about the attacks and how to counteract them. Uh, The attacks that came against me started about the third or fourth week of June, and I would just be, you know, minding my own business and uh, either sitting and working on a sermon or maybe watching a movie. I have this little selection of clean DVDs that when I need to chill out, I'll pop in a DVD. And, you know, it just helps. So I was sitting here one night doing something, and all of a sudden, this reminder of some sin that was like 15 years ago or something. That I mean, I couldn't hardly even remember. And this this shame came at me like, you know, you're a terrible person. And I thought, what is this? And where is this coming from? And it started to happen regularly when I and I would never see it coming. I would just be, you know, doing my thing that, you know, I work pretty much all the time and I'd be working on something and when it come at me, it'd be daytime or nighttime. And it was really annoying. But I'm like, OK, well, you know. I was a horrible person before I got saved. Maybe I'm not any better. And that's why the shame's coming at me. I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the sins like I was then, but I didn't know really what it was. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I didn't stop and analyze it and take it apart because I'm working on so many sermons right now that I just keep working when something happens. So before I continue, I know some of you are probably asking, how do we know an unworthiness or shame or condemnation attack? is not God's conviction, you know, for some sin that we did. A lot of people confuse shame with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to understand how to tell them apart. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is more like informing. It never makes you feel ashamed. Like you'll do a sin and the Lord will be like, hey, I really don't like that, you know, or something. Mm. Or that's a sin. It's in my word here, you know. And he's just telling you, but he's not getting on to you. Um, I want y'all to take a look at Genesis 3, 10 and 11. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Who told you to be ashamed, Adam? Somebody had to bring shame into the garden and introduce it in order for Adam and Eve to be ashamed. So who did bring shame into the garden? The same evil being that brings it into our gardens. Satan did. And we know from that that any time we feel shame, it came from Satan. He is constantly trying to make us feel like we are unloved, unwanted, not good enough, like less or like we did something wrong. And the thing about shame is it won't just make you feel like you did something wrong, but you are something wrong, which is even harder to you know bounce back from if you let it get inside you. The Garden of Eden and the two people God created and put there were perfect until Big Mouth Satan showed up. Nicole and I were talking about this about a week ago, and I told her I'd been getting hit with waves of shame over sins from years ago that are already under the blood like a long time ago. 
And Nicole said she had been getting hit with attacks of there's no use. You need to just quit. There's no use. Nicole has an unsafe spouse that she has been praying for for years. And so the devil's trying to get her to stop. Here's the thing about what the devil says. We know he is a liar. So anything he comes at you with, unless he's quoting the word, is automatically a lie. And that will help you if you realize it's him talking. Okay. So we thought, you know, those might be attacks of condemnation for not doing good enough or on whatever we're battling or supposed to overcome. So when we were talking, Nicole said she thought that maybe it was an attack against those who are counted worthy to escape to try to, you know, get you to feel otherwise. If you don't believe you're worthy, you know, because everything we receive from the Lord, we receive by faith. Look at Luke 21, 35. For as a, sa a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. And 36, watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's what she's talking about. Well, you know, I can relate to this. The idea that something's being thrown in my face. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it? Ray and I were just discussing this in a similar way only within the past few days. I was really down when we were talking about a particular season many years ago that led me to coming back to the Lord. When attacks like this happen, I've now come to discern that these things are external attacks or incoming, as in missiles, meant to provoke and cause new damage or stir up new temptations based on past sins or temptations. Yeah. So. Fortunately, though, the remedy for ignorance is knowledge. Yeah. Ignorance can be very costly. Yeah. Um, you know, the old-time showman, P.T. Barnum, wasn't the most savory guy. Uh, legend has it that he counted on his paying customers who attended his exhibits to not know the word egress. Truth be told, in that time, a significant number of his patrons were illiterate. So in order to keep the crowds moving, and new nickels flowing in because it would cost generally a nickel to see the sideshow, he would toward the end of the exhibit have signs that would say, come see the incredible egress, hurry to see the egress. Oh. And there'd be a cute little picture of some kind of mythical egress on there or something. And then those signs with their promises of hope and even greater thrilling sights would all point in one direction, to the exit. That's terrible. Right. Egress means exit. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd find yourself out on the back lawn. And once to the exit, you couldn't get back in unless you paid another nickel to get back in. Oh. So this is absolutely a similar tactic that Satan can use. He deceives us by drawing us in. He plays dirty against our ignorance. Then he sends us through dens and warrens of abomination if he can where we'll see and be induced to participate in crazy and ridiculous things that can even seem right at the time. And, you know, Proverbs 14, 12 really sums it up very simply. It says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Amen. So, you know, he attempts to engage our trust through trickery, or clever manipulation in myriad ways. And he does this after extracting a payment for our participation. He kicks us through the back door, poor and relieved of our money, confused and bamboozled. And then he attempts to repeat the cycle and take the payment from us again and again. Mm -hmm. And it can be an endless lather and rinse and repeat cycle. 
It's only through our awareness and by calling out to the Lord that we can stop the madness. That is quite a story about P.T. Barnum. I never heard that before. Wow. And missiles are a very good analogy for those hits. That makes me think of the arrows talked about in Psalm 91. Oh, yes. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. You know, I was watching something one evening not too long ago, and evil Satan brought an old sin to my mind. I rebuked him, but he had already landed the condemnation dark. But then I thought, you know what? That's under the blood. So I decided that from now on, whenever he does that, I'm going to imagine the precious blood of Jesus falling from the cross and covering my sin completely because it does, because I've asked forgiveness. And I'm going to start praising the Lord for being willing to die for my sins out loud because Satan hates that. And it worked. And I've been doing it ever since. And you know what? Those attacks stopped. Shortly after I started that, they stopped. Mm. I felt that before in times of loneliness, the unworthiness, like I'm not a good enough person, the negative thinking, the feeling like I did something wrong when I won't hear from someone for a while. I'll be thinking, did I do or say something wrong? I mean, I don't have a reason to feel that way, but it's that feeling of doubt, which if you step back and think about it, it's an attack on our faith. And it's troubling because everything will be going fine and it comes out of nowhere. I'm sorry, it's a missile. It's one of those missiles, right? Yep. And the enemy's trying to cause us to cast judgment on others, even though they haven't done anything. And there's nothing really there to be upset about. It's the spirit of strife that's on the prowl. And I recently mentioned that in a podcast I did with Tom, where we were talking about maintaining in times of adversity and continuing to do right. Yeah. And that spirit of strife is a big one you have to be vigilant of, because if you're unaware of it, that's one that the enemy tries to use to snare you that can cause you to react in a way you would normally wouldn't. And the spirit of strife is the doorway to every evil work. The word says, mm. right yeah. now. And now that's just two examples that would be considered an attack from the enemy, not a conviction by God in the spirit to do better unless we did something to deserve it because yeah. it was contrary to the word. And we know the difference because we know the word tells us in first Peter four, 15 through 16, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Amen. So, so if you're living in the word and have nothing wrong, that is how you would know it's an attack and not a conviction from God. Now, as far as past sins that were long put to death, I've not recently had a feeling of guilt over any of those, but I have felt that before, especially when I was coming out of the wilderness. And though I at first slipped, I pulled through. So I know exactly what you're talking about, Glenda. You know, it's natural to feel conviction of a sin. However, when you are repenting, and that is the sorrow God wants us to feel, because it brings about the willingness to put those sins behind us and turn away from evil. Amen. Uh, I'll second that amen. <laughs> and remember again, verse 16 from First Peter 4 that I just mentioned, but when we move on to verse 19, it says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. And if you turn back a chapter to First Peter 3.17, the word says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Now on the past guilt, Remember that the Lord said, if you have confessed and turned from those sins, that he would remember them no more. And this is found in Hebrews 8.12, which speaks of the new covenant with Christ when he died, so that their sins may be forgiven. Verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. 
So it is the belief that in Christ, those sins were nailed to the cross and put to death. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, is another great example where the word illustrates this. When I refuse to confess my sin, this is starting on verse 3. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Verse 4. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. And so to conclude, if, you're already con- if you've already confessed the sins and you stop doing them and you believe the testimony of Jesus shedding his blood to pay for those sins, then you have no reason to feel guilty over something that you no longer do. And then you understand there is no shame when the sin is no longer committed. That is the truth. You know, verse three makes me wonder if that could be the reason so many people are ill in their bodies. Well, and it could be because it's that guilt will continue to stress you out. Now, I want to add that. And I want to, yeah. And I want to add that if you aren't sure that something is a sin, confess it anyway, because there's no shame in doing. Yeah, there's no shame in doing so. Don't just say, well, I don't know whether it was or not. And then, you know, carry on. It's better to just release a doubt to him than carry it around and let it weigh you down so that you know you're free. You know, that's the trust you're putting in not only him, but his word. And a sin like that might be something simple. It might have been something like a curse word you said in a moment of frustration. When you confess that sin, ask him to help you catch when you do it. Because I'll tell you, the more you do this over time, it'll get you'll get better about not repeating the sin. Amen. Well said. Very well said. Now, for someone starting out in their walk, it's normal to feel bad if you slip at first, because that is what God wants you to feel. And that guilt, that conviction is appropriate because it's him working within you and he is showing you the hurt it causes. And now that's hurt you're causing to Christ. That's where it comes in that there is no shame in suffering in a manner that pleases God. And if you are suffering that way, keep calling on him in prayer and spending time with him. Because the more you do, the more he will establish in your heart, and the weight becomes less and less, and the desire to repeat that sin wanes and disappears. That is 100% the truth, and that is how you build a strong relationship with the Lord, too. And, you know, the evil one attempts to set up in us what I'll call a lens or an outline through which we go on to process new experiences, which also includes our interactions with others. It's an intimate psychological attack that feeds on guilt and self-condemnation. So once again, the evil one wants to identify with it and its faith. Well, once again, the evil one wants us to identify with it and its fate. And that's because it has no hope of redemption and salvation. It seeks to project that horrible fate on us and to achieve that reality with us if it can. And so... We have to be induced to believe that others are thinking negative thoughts about us or judging us or disapproving us, and on and on it goes. The intent is to paralyze and belittle, to steal hope through malaise, depression, and fear, and to grind down, corrupt, and ultimately destroy. This is really intense and dangerous stuff. It sure is. You know, I learned years ago, I don't remember where, that Romans 8.1 is how we counterattack attacks of shame. And when the devil came at me this time, I just had my guard down and wasn't expecting it. But Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And if you start shooting down 
every time he comes at you and says, oh, you're a terrible person, blah, 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 you know, used to do this, whatever. There is now, therefore, no condemnation, Satan, to them which are in Christ Jesus, and you know it. The quickest way to counteract shame or condemnation attacks is to say that out loud. It lands a kick in the teeth right to whichever demon is harassing you at the moment. Talking to Ray about this podcast, the Lord showed me there are people right now who want to come to him, who have done a lot of sin and, and not knowing the word or the Lord, you're unsure if you're if you can be forgiven. So this is a word for you if you are unsure whether you can be forgiven. The Lord is showing me right now that the enemy is trying to tell you it's no use. You've done too much sin. He'll never forgive that. Blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you what. He had to forgive me a bunch of sin for me to get saved. I just want to tell you right now, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And you don't have to listen to him for one more second. You don't have to let him run your thoughts or your life. Whatever hold he has on you in the past, it's over right now in Jesus name. Speak the name of your bondage out loud right now. If you want to be free, I decree every one of those bondages spoken to be broken off you now in Jesus mighty name by the power of his shed blood. I command them to fall to the ground and become as not now in Jesus name. I plead the blood of Jesus over you and I crush those bondages into dust. They are under your feet. And the word says whom the son sets free is free indeed. Declare your freedom out loud. Agree with this so you can receive your freedom. Say, I praise God right now that I am free indeed of blank, whatever your bondage was forevermore. Now, just a side note, keep in mind, Satan will try to tell you that you're not free. And it's up to you to stand on your freedom and not give in to doing whatever had you in bondage. And you can just repeat that. I praise God. I am free indeed of what? Whatever it was forever. I'm free indeed of that. So stand strong. This is how you get free. Every time Satan comes at you with a, oh, you're really not free. She just said that. You know you can't do without blah, 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 whatever it was. Yes, you can. You are free. And if you will believe it and claim it and refuse to give up, you will stay free too. Every time Satan comes at you like that, you just say out loud, praise Jesus. I am free indeed. So you can take a hike, Satan. Take your blah, blah, blah nonsense to someone who will listen because I ain't listening no more. Not today, Satan, and not tomorrow either. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I just want to add something in there, Glenda. Yeah. That, you know, as you were you know, telling the listeners that, you know, when I was in the wilderness and I was having trouble overcoming my sins at first, when I first started, um, one of the things the Lord had me do was read a lot of scriptures on Jesus healing. Oh, nice. And when I did, and when he did, and then I started, heal- I started hearing in my spirit, I am healed. I am healed. And nice. I started, and I started declaring it. And wow, the, I like that. And, yeah. And it's in it. And the sins, the desire for them, they just, they just died. So that sense of self-defeat is a lie by the devil being whispered into your ear. It's exactly what Satan wants because he knows his time is short and confusion, fear, and manipulation are tactics. He is having a heyday throwing at us. Our Lord Jesus is not about any of those feelings. The Lord is not about manipulation, but the Pharisees were about that. They were always trying to bait Jesus with their gotcha statements. So true. Jesus hung out with the sinners. He taught them. Let's just look at uh, Luke 5, verse 27 through 32 as an example. You know, Jesus called on Levi, who was a tax collector, to be his disciple. And Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, dropped what he was doing and followed Jesus. He repented. Later, Levi hosted Jesus in his home with other tax collectors, and Jesus ate with them. And there were those Pharisees, again, scoffing at Jesus. And, you know, I'll read from, I'll uh, read here, I hear from uh, Luke 5, 30 through 32. 
starting on verse 30. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? The tax collectors in that day were thieves. That's why they were considered so low class. They were thieves. Yep. Well, 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 I won't go there. (laughs) Verse 31. (laughs) Verse 31. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call on not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So, you know, when we digest these verses, what do these verses speak to us? Well, it shows Jesus calling on people to be his followers or return to him if they are backslidden or otherwise known as sick because they need healing. That's what he meant in this parable that healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. He's saying, I have already overcome the world. I desire to take you in my arms and heal you from your past transgressions if you will accept me into your heart and believe. Amen. I I know. Isn't it terrible how people suffer and struggle in the kinds of self-defeating ways that you've both mentioned. I mean, I've experienced this exact kind of despair. It, it happened to me in 2006 when I came back to the Lord after a long season of essentially putting him on a shelf as if he was something nice I needed to look at fondly and feather dust once in a while. You know, I, I, I had been driven to a crossroads with a spirit of despair hovering over me and it was ready to strike. You know, the spirit of despair is an assassin And like all demons, it is a murderer just like its father, Satan. But the Lord truly can meet us anywhere. Yeah, yeah. you know, I had reached a point where if I was going to go on this walk, I had to acknowledge what was unacceptable to God. Certain things are abominable to him and certain things cannot remain. And certain people have to be let go. This can be absolutely heartbreaking, and I was brought to my knees, and my heart was broken for a time. Amen. And see, and see, yeah, and see, once you do that is when the transformation begins, the changing of your heart. It doesn't mean you're not going to trip a few times, and when you do, you just pick yourself up and keep going. Don't let the enemy try to tell you, oh, there's no use, you're hopeless, like Linda was saying earlier, because that's not true. And if it were true, you know, Glinda, you, me, and Tom, and so many others would not be sitting here talking about the greatness of the Lord and enduring through the trials to do his will. You've got that right. Amen. And the Lord is patient with those who call on him with a true heart. He's not going to cast you down if you don't get it right the first tr- so many tries. He wants you to succeed, and he's going to help you get there. I mean, he meets you where you are. I mean, for me, it took months to understand this after years of being backslidden. If I slipped in sin, then I cried and confessed and continued, and I continually told the Lord in prayer that I would not give up on him if he wasn't going to give up on me, and he won't give up on you. His word is true. He will never leave us or forsake us, but it is up to us to keep going, continually, continually calling on him and the will to keep moving, keep trying. You know, it's the perseverance. It's about the belief. Like I was mentioning with those healing verses, it is about establishing that trust. It's about building on the faith and building up the faith. He will help you overcome as he establishes in you. As you learn about the Lord, those desires begin to wane and eventually you have no desire for them anymore. Any learning experience is by trial and error. And when you are new to the walk or you are returning to it, it can seem like an uphill battle at times, but you'll get there through prayer and remaining steadfast and calling on the Lord to break those chains. You'll get there. Now, some say, oh, well, you just shouldn't do this, or you just shouldn't do that, or you need to burn this, or throw that away. And that's all fine and dandy if that method worked for them. But nobody was made right by keeping the law. And that's why Jesus shed his blood on the cross. 
Because as he establishes in your heart and in your spirit, you let go of the things of the past and you let go of the sins. Amen. Our love for him makes us not want to sin anymore. That's right. And that is also how we build a stronger relationship with the Lord, too, as you do that. Um, and I think Ray and Tom will both agree. It gets more and more difficult for Satan to affect you with all of his blah, blah, blah nonsense. He catches me off guard sometimes because I stay busy all the time. I don't I don't have much downtime because I like to work. That's what I prefer to do. And he'll slip something like this in. But then I started catching him and kicking him in the teeth for it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, Ray and Glenda, some time ago, I asked for insight on this in prayer. Uh, I wanted to better understand why we're sometimes so smitten with desires for things that are not good for us. We know largely why. It's because there are both perceived and actual rewards, no matter how fleeting those rewards might be. You know, we grasp after meager comforts in order to address what I call all the holes in our hearts. Yeah. Now, so for example, I'm not judging anyone who smokes. You know, there's drinking and eating and sex and shopping and the list of all potential things not good for us goes on for miles. But I was reminded how, and not that it makes me any better in any way or that I should get any personal credit for not doing it. It's, it's just that I've never smoked. Now, I've drank too much and I've eaten too much before and I've, I've been in some sinful relationships that at the time I thought were somehow right and justified. I've, I've bought things before that I didn't need. I've been careless and sinful and selfish and wasteful in myriad ways like all of us. And so I prayed, Lord, can I ask for all the sin in my life to be relegated to the realm of something like smoking, where I simply have no desire and thus wouldn't be likely at all to ever do any of it and thus never sin again? I mean, that's a big question. Like, pretty yeah. ambitious and kind of, you know, childlike of me. But hey, that's the spirit that's I was okay. in. So now the answer to that prayer has come actually in two parts. Number one, Son, I will help you. But two, for now, I desire you remain in this world, and this is why you and your brothers and sisters need me so desperately. You know, when I first heard this, it didn't seem like an adequate answer. I was inclined to be frustrated, and I was tired, too. And I guess I thought on some naive level, I'll just pray this bomb of a prayer, and poof, you know, in no time, I won't be sending anymore. But you I know, wish it he, was that easy. I wish it was I, that easy. I wish, you know, but you know, he did help me. Um, and he still helps me in ways I could not do for myself, such as, for example, with loneliness. There was a season in my life years back where I simply did not feel I was alive unless I was in love with someone. But this led to serious sin when I was not married. I have since been given great strength and mercy in this area and have not gone back and sinned in that particular way. But as for other things, I have also received help for the asking. What I've learned to do is look at situations in their proper contexts and to ask, will you guide me through these various temptations as they arise? Like and he's that. always there for me. Um, but you know, and, and he sure knows that this life is loaded with spiritual and physical minefields. So then when I get too confident in myself or get careless and let my guard down, I can slip up. But if I do, I just get right back up like a child with a skinned knee. 
you know, it hurts, but it's not the end of the world. The key is not to hide and not to wallow, or worse yet, resign oneself back to sin, but to go forward with humility and accept the forgiveness and learn from it and rest in it. Self-unforgiveness is a rejection of God's mercy. In his mercy, he understands this, but this is something very hard I've had to learn. You know, unforgiveness in all of its human manifestations is never a good thing. It's antithetical to God's nature toward us. We who are his children whom he made in his image. Tom, that is so well said. I've never heard before that unforgiveness of ourselves is a rejection of God's mercy. And I have struggled with forgiving myself for things way back that God forgave me of a long time ago for years and just started getting any victory at all. That really, really helps me to hear that. I love that. So I got saved so late in life. You know, I had plenty of time to sin before my salvation. And and that, you know, caused me to have bigger a bigger struggle getting out of the sin after salvation. So your spirit gets saved when you get saved. But the flesh, which has been out there sinning full time before you found Jesus, it still wants what it had. You know, it just wants to keep going. Yeah, it just it just continues to scream. But the screams get softer. You know, it, it gets yeah, quieter it after a I while. Literally, when I was in the first wilderness, <laughs> y'all will love this. When I was in that first wilderness that where I almost became homeless, I literally could hear in the spirit. I could hear my flesh screaming. I used to laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. I think the important thing you have to remember, the one important takeaway from the word is that you're defiled by what comes from the heart. Okay. And <laughs> when we go move on to Colossians 2, 20 through 23, it doesn't mean, and of course, it doesn't mean that, you know, you keep going on sinning. That's not what I mean by that. But it's, no. you know, when Jesus changes your heart, that's when the heart no longer desires those things. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't, ha don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe body discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. In other words, if you don't have Christ established in your heart, it does little to conquer the sinful desires, like I was just saying, by simply denying something that has not yeah. yet been nailed to the cross spiritually. All of us went through it and can speak truth to this testimony, and Tom, like you were just saying, but you don't believe the lie the enemy tries to give you as it relates to doubting. Don't believe it. In many places in the word, it's written, you were once like that when your life was part of this world. And I'm going to give a few examples on that. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now note verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Note, you used to do these things. And further perspective, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11. don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people, drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you, here again, verse 11, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, 
you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So once again, verse 11 right there, specifically here, it notes some of you were once like that. And that's the key takeaway, because once he's changed you, you're no longer like that. So if you couldn't be forgiven for these sins and healed, why would that be written? It's written because you can be healed. And the word means what it says. Amen. Amen. And I put emphasis on this because there are folks all over the world who used to do these things, but they were transformed when they welcomed Jesus into their hearts. And this is what I meant earlier when I was referring to when Jesus said a sick person needs a doctor. And folks, that is what our Savior is in the business of doing. He's our healer. He's our rock. He's our salvation. And through him, all things are made anew. That is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The sins are put to death. And you can do it, folks. We're all a testimony of the Lord's greatness. And we're all a testimony of his love and mercy and what he's done for us. That's so true. So let's sum up what we've been talking about. The way we can tell negative memories are an attack is if they bring shame or condemnation with them. They're more like making you feel bad. If negative memories or thoughts only make us aware of a sin or something we need to change, they are likely from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, where the conviction of the Holy Spirit is, just pointing out a sin or something we need to change or improve, we need only follow his leading and work on that or lay down that sin and ask him for help. But attacks for attacks of shame or condemnation, fight back and put the devil in his place. Give him a good kick in the teeth. He'll back off and leave you alone more if you'll do that. A surefire way to counteract attacks of shame or condemnation, quote the word. I have found Romans 8.1 to be extremely effective in counteracting this kind of attack. The first step is you have to recognize that it is an attack. Uh, I've been using this for years. There's ne- there, there is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Take a hike, Satan. So say Romans 8.1 out loud and then thinking of the sin you're being reminded of, imagine the precious blood of Jesus falling from the cross and covering it completely. I've been finding that very effective lately. Then praise the Lord loudly if you really want to give the devil a big kick in the teeth. Lord told me one time he likes his praise loud. I said, Lord, is that so you can hear it? And he said, no, so the devil can. And I want to encourage people to read all of Romans 8, not just verse 1 like you just read, but all. Because Romans 8 is a very key chapter to read. It has oh, a, okay. There is a lot in there about things work, everything working together for good. You know, no condemnation. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's no all in there. Yeah. yeah. So then praise the Lord loudly for being willing to die for your sins. We need to praise Jesus for being willing to go through what he went through so we could have eternal life. You know, we're just facing the end times. He faced being murdered for something he never did. He was without sin. He was the only person ever who was without sin. Praise him that you're free indeed of those sins because his word says you are. And like Ray said, study the healing verses, the things that Jesus said about healing. So we're already dealing with so much in this time that we live in. You know, we don't have to put up with Satan making us feel terrible about ourselves, too. So I'm just saying. Mm. So before I close, I just want to thank you, Ray, and thank you, Tom, for spending your time and and bringing your experiences to the table to share with the listeners, because I know they're going to benefit from this podcast. I know for one thing, because y'all, we fought, we battled heavy for an hour just to get this thing started. And y'all know what that means. That means that somebody needs this real bad. So thank y'all for, for joining in on this. Well, thank you, Glenda. And thank you, Ray. 
No, thank you. I, I, I appreciate, I like being here with you guys to talk about these things. And I, I, I it's my prayer that it, it reaches the listeners and those who need to be lifted up and encouraged when they're dealing with the same kind of attacks, because we've all been there. I yes, mean, make no mistake, yes. you know, we, I have several testimonies up on my blog alone. And Glenda, you've written books and talked about your testimonies. Yeah. Oh, and give your, give your uh, contact information, your blog and stuff too, right? If you would. Uh, my blog is innocenceredeem.blog, and um, there is a contact form on the about section that anybody can reach me through there if they desire to reach out. And y'all, his blogs, his blogs are excellent. I go on there and read them. Um, Tom, do you want to give any contact information? Sure. Um, I don't have a blog. I'm just me. Um, <laughs> I'm okay, at uh, yeah, tej.bixler, B-I-X-L-E-R, at gmail.com. And y'all free, feel free to email them with any questions or comments, or if you like the podcast, that's encouraging because every time that they come on the podcast, you know, they've spent time preparing and, and studying and things like that out of the goodness of their heart and to glorify God. Y'all thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Jesus bless you. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to just praise him radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas, 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Are there areas of sin in your life you just can't seem to overcome no matter how hard you try? Many people live their whole lives under curses. Without understanding, they can be free. Learn what the scriptures say about curses and why they are still relevant today. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Learn how to defeat every curse through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have the knowledge, you can break curses off your life and start experiencing breakthroughs like never before. In the book Loosed from Chains of Darkness, you will learn the basics of four different types of curses. Loosed from Chains of Darkness is the most comprehensive curse-breaking book on the market today. Get your copy of Loosed from Chains of Darkness by Glenda Lomax, available on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, and audiobook versions. Does your life feel like it's falling apart around you? Are multiple things going wrong all at once? Does it seem all your comforts have been stripped away? You may have entered the wilderness. Wilderness experiences are often times of great discomfort and lack. Every Christian must pass through the desert on the way to their promised land. Find out how to go from surviving to thriving by partnering with God as He leads you in the path that will strengthen your faith and prepare you to step into your destiny. The Wilderness Companion will help you find out why you have been led into the wilderness. Find out the biggest hindrances to receiving the provision you need in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. 
Learn how to partner with God in His purposes for you in the desert seasons. Get your copy of The Wilderness Companion today. The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, or audiobook. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will at some point encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas cost you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook, The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21:32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bondservant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap? 